beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? How many of you ever watched uh, Mr. Rogers when you were little? Yeah? Brings about memories, doesn't it? Memories, doesn't it? Yeah, that was one of my favorite shows as a kid. Um, I didn't really get into Sesame Street that much. Um, Snuffleupagus was just a little too much for me. Nobody knew that, knew that he existed except for Big Bird. Did that be that Big Bird had mental problems with seeing people? Big Bird had a beautiful mind is what that meant, seeing people. But no, uh, Miss, yeah, Mr. Rogers was one of my favorite, favorite TV shows when I was a kid. He always came in, took off his shoes, put on some slippers and a, and a sweater, like a, like a sweater. Always wondered about the sweater. Like he just came in from outside and I was worried as a kid that he wasn't paying his heating bill is what I was worried about because he always put all that sweater, you know, had to stay warm. Nonetheless, um, I do want to show you a new t-shirt. It's the R4J t-shirt. This is Rebels for Jesus, and, and that's the design. Um, this is a little closer image of it. And uh, then the back of it says, Rebelling Against the World, the Flesh, and the Devil. Um, we do not make any money on these t-shirts, but these t-shirts are more expensive than ones we've done in the past. They're $18. So um, if you want to get one, you can uh, buy it on your app, or you can... I think there's stuff out in the lobby that you can fill out. We do need your money when you order. Um, it saves us from chasing you down. Um, I thought about hiring about 86,000 people to track you down if you didn't pay for your T-shirts, but we don't have the money for that either. So nonetheless, there you go. So uh, we are also, uh, the uh, regular Farmington Baptist Church are all, shirts are also available, and I think they are $12.50. $13? Yeah, so we don't make any money. This is not a fundraiser, but if you want one, there you go. All right. How many of you have someone that you consider in your life that's a hero? Somebody that's a hero in your life. Okay? Yeah, several people do. <clears throat> Some people don't. Uh, my prayer is that you one day will get one. That you'll, you'll have somebody you looked up to and you uh, really respect one of mine in the church, one of my heroes in the church, is Roger Miller. I don't know if you know him or not. Roger Miller is a hero of mine, hero of the faith. Um, he is, you know, from the time I got here, just a, a solid member of this church. Another hero of mine is Ms. Nancy. Um, I do not know how old Ms. Nancy is, and I'm not going to ask her, but she was around when Moses was here, I'm sure. Um, and she probably taught him in Sunday school is probably what happened. Um, but she, she has been teaching fourth and fifth graders for years, like for longer than I've been born. She's, she's been teaching and very faithful. So she's one of my, my faithful heroes. So if you look around, if you don't have one, um, there's two that I suggest for you that you she should go, go for. And there's other ones in this church as well that you could choose as a hero of yours. But in Scripture, I think we would all agree that there's several heroes in Scripture, 
Like we, we can see several people in scripture that we know their stories, we know what they're like, and uh, they would be heroes of ours. So I would like to talk about a couple of those today and kind of emphasize one of them. So if you're turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, that would be great. So Acts chapter 7 is where we are. And we'll begin reading with verse 1 in Acts chapter 7. Yeah, there we are. Acts chapter 7. And verse 1. And it says this. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And then Stephen said... Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father's died, after his father died, God removed him from there into this land which you are now living. So first stop is Abraham. Abraham is, is a hero of the faith. The Jews think he's a hero. We think he's a hero. He is a man of faith. In fact, he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. He is someone that we could uh, learn about, that we could follow God like he followed. Like he, he was told, hey, why don't you pack up your bags and, and your wife? He didn't have any kids. And why don't you move and you're going to go to a place that I'm calling you to. And he absolutely responded, absolutely stepped on in faith, and started following immediately. Great example, great hero to, to follow after. But then there's another one, and it's found in verse 9 of chapter 7. It says this, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. So the next one is Joseph. Joseph is a hero of the faith. The patriarchs, not so much. They were a bad bunch of people, except for Benjamin, right? So 10 of them were really bad. And if you don't think they were bad, you really need to read your Bible. I mean, all the way through. They kept a lie, a secret from their father for years, telling him that Joseph had died and he hadn't really died, that they had sold him into Egypt. They had not told their father that. So they were, these were bad people. These were bad people. So the patriarchs were bad, but Joseph was somebody that is, is hero-worthy. And in verse 10 it says, And rescued him, God, rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all over his household. So here is a guy that was sold into slavery. We know that he wound up in prison and God took him up out of prison and made him the second most powerful person in the world. He stayed faithful the entire time. He stayed faithful while he was walking to see his brothers. He stayed faithful in the pit. He stayed faithful as he was being sold into slavery. He stayed faithful as he was thrown into jail. He stayed faithful as he was taken out from that prison and placed into a position of power. He stayed faithful to God. He is someone that should be our hero. I mean, Joseph is a hero. And to the children of Israel, he was a hero. Abraham and Joseph, both heroes. But then we get to another person, and he starts, his story starts in verse 20 of chapter 7. And this is what it says. 
At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. You see, all the other babies were ugly. This is the first beautiful baby ever, right? So, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. By the way, that beautiful in God's sight means that he was created for a particular purpose for a particular job. I would submit to you this today that all of us are created for a particular purpose and a particular job for God. But Moses was beautiful. God had a plan for him, and it had to do with his people. So verse 21, it says, And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. Now, if you don't know the story, this is what was happening. Pharaoh was killing all the male children of the Jewish race. He was literally throwing them off a cliff, is what he was doing, to their death. It it was so bad. And so Moses' mother took him and hid him, and then God, in his providence, had Pharaoh's daughter adopt him as her own child. And so he moved Moses, because he had a plan for him, into the palace, and he did that for a purpose. In verse 22, it says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. He was, instruction, he was instructed with the wisdom and the understanding of the Egyptians and was mighty in his deeds. Now, a lot of people don't understand that this particular verse has to do with the first 40 years of his life. This means that while he was living in the palace and while he was doing palacey things, while he was living as really the grandson of Pharaoh... Not only was he growing in wisdom, but he was doing mighty works. Like he was a great leader. Like he was somebody that you would want to know. He was a great leader. And Moses knew that he was placed into that position and he had that leadership potential because he knew that God had called him to do something at this point in his life. He knew that God knew, he knew, of course God knew, he knew that God had called him to do something. And so the story continues in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, because he had the same concern God had. Verse 24, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He killed him. He killed him. And then he hid the body. That's what he did. In verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So there you see it. He knew that he was in a position to be a deliverer for his people, and he expected God to use him that way because at some level, God had told him that that was what he was supposed to do with his life. But when he went out to engage the people on this, they did not understand what he was actually trying to do, or his calling. They didn't understand it. And in verse 26, it says this, And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who is wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So he might have hid the body, but word got out. Word got out that he killed this Egyptian. And in verse 29, and 
At this retort or remark, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And all of a sudden, we see this, this word, and Moses fled. And I stop when something like this happens. And you should too. Because up until this point, we've had Abraham, right? Abraham, the starter of the Jewish race, the one that God called out, and, and he lived a fateful life. And then we have Joseph, who lived a fateful life. And even though he was oppressed, and even though things went wrong for him, God was still faithful to him, and God had him, and God protected him, and God raised him to power. So both of these guys, they never ran, they never fled. Okay, Joseph ran, but that was for a good reason. All right? Okay? Moses here is fleeing from his calling. He's fleeing from his calling to be a deliverer of his people. And he's fleeing the icon of Judaism, the icon of the Old Testament, and really much of the New Testament as well. The icon here is fleeing because he is afraid of what Pharaoh, the ruler, will do to him. And it's at this point in Moses' life that he's like, I know God called me. But I'm not sure that God is more powerful than Pharaoh. And if I stay here, Pharaoh might throw me into prison or he might even kill me. And the example of Joseph is, does it really matter if Pharaoh throws you into prison? God is still going to fulfill the call in your life. You stay there faithfully. But Moses decided to run from his calling. And he ran into the wilderness. He fled into the, real, the wilderness, he fled. Now, why did he flee? Why did he flee? God didn't tell him to go, right? He fled because, of course, I said before, he was afraid. And here's the scripture that says that. It says this. On the other screen, it says it. There we go. Exodus 2, verses 14 through 15. It says, he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was, what? Afraid, because he thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. He fled. He fled away from his calling. He fled away from his faith. He fled away from everything that he knew. Everything that he knew. He fled. Now, I think there is a possibility that there's people here today that are running from God. That are running from Jesus. That are running from the calling on their life. They are fleeing that at an amazing rate. They are running, 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 running. And you say, well, Philip, I'm here today in church. I said, yeah, yeah, sure you are. But there are people in church that are running from God just like people outside of the church that are running from God. Right? So they come to church, but they're still running from God. You see, you might be running from God because you're not living in holiness like he has called you to do. Remember last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? We are called to be holy. And you're running from that Holiness, because you fear what others might say about you if you were to live holy. You fear it. 
You fear that you will not fit in with other people if you live the way that God wants you to live. You fear that. And so you decide not to live that way because you want to be accepted. And it's at the moment that you live a different way than God wants you to because you want to be accepted. That is the moment that you are running away from the calling in your life. You are running away from God. You're running away from him. You may be a fleeing because you thought you did the right thing, but you were misunderstood. Have you ever did the right thing and you were misunderstood for it? Yeah, I have. I, I have thought that I did the right thing and the person I tried to help was the person that misunderstood what I had actually done for them. And it, and it hurts on the inside. And you get kind of a fear that maybe if I help somebody else, they will misunderstand me too, because maybe it was me. Maybe it was the way I approached it. Maybe it was something that I did. So I'm not going to help anybody because I don't want to hurt anybody. That's not the point of me helping them. So you get misunderstood. So you run and you decide not to help anybody else. You may be fleeing because you did something wrong and you thought you had it covered up. Right? You thought you had it covered up, but you found out other people knew about it. So you decided to run. You see, if Joseph had been a country boy, he would have fed the guy to the pigs. Then there wouldn't be a body. See, you should be afraid of country people. They, they know how to get rid of a body. Oh, come on. You can laugh at that, right? We, we know how to get rid of a body. Those city slickers, they don't know how to get rid of a body. Moses' city slicker drags, as wise as he was, drags the body and buries him in the desert so you could figure out where he was. Wasn't very secretive. He buried the body. So, you know, you might think that you did something wrong, you did something wrong and you're running from that. And the thing you need to do is go back and face the thing that you did wrong and make it right. And you're running from that. You may be running because you sinned and for some reason you think that you are no longer worthy to fulfill the calling on your life. God's calling on your life. And you have a lot of reasons why you're not worthy. I just messed up. I, I didn't do right as a, as a father, as a, as a husband, as, as a son, as an employee. I just didn't do right. And so you run from that because you feel like you're just not worthy to be who God has called you to be. And so we run. Those are reasons that we run. And then we get to verse 29 of this passage of scripture, and it says this, at this, well, we were already there. At this remark, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed. So a couple of things. First of all, we have 40 years of Moses' life where he grew in wisdom, and there's a lot written about him. And then we have this 40 years where because he is running from God, because he is living in the wilderness, he is not doing anything significant with his life. Nothing at all. And 40 years of his life is summed up in one sentence. One sentence. And the only good thing that he had done in 40 years as he ran from the Lord is... There were two sons that were born to him. 
And we all know that children are a gift from God, right? And, and a great thing. So the sons are mentioned, but that is the only thing that Moses did that was worth anything in 40 years while he was running from God, while he was running from his calling, while he was running from who God wanted him to be. He was living in the wilderness and his life was amazingly insignificant. It can be summed up in one sentence. At this remark, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, for he became the father of two sons. That sentence in the Greek is 17 words, and in the English, it's around 21, depending on your translation. When you are running from God, when you are not living for God, your life can be summed up in very few words because you are doing nothing significant for him. You know what my fear is? Or my concern? I think concern is, is, is a better word here. You know what my concern is? My concern is, is there are a lot of Christians that are just one-sentence Christians. One-sentence Christians. And so this is their sentence. I was saved and nothing else. I was saved and there's nothing else beyond that. There's nothing else here that anybody could write about. There's nothing that they have done significantly for God that people want to remember, that people want to write down, that people want to talk about, that would give God honor and glory. They are just one-sentence Christians, just one-sentence Christians. And the reason that they're one-sentence Christians is because they're not doing anything significant for God in their life. They are running from him. And if you want to do something significant with your life, you stay with God and you walk with God and you live like God wants you to live. And then your life has significance. That is when things happen in your life and God uses you in a magnificent way. That is what happens. But far too many Christians are one-sentence Christians. And let me just be as bold as this. I don't know if this is bold or not. I'm just going to say it. That is the reason our country is the way that it is. We have far too many one-sentence Christians just saying I'm saved and living the way that they want to. And God has called them to holiness, but they will not live in holiness. And so they ruin their testimony. They're not doing anything significant for God. I'm getting excited about this. It's what happens. My mind kind of, you know, does the little thing, and then my mouth goes really, really fast. But they're not doing anything significant. Ugh. They are not doing anything significant for God. It's because they're running from him. They're running from their call to holiness. They're running from their call to be who God created them to be. And because of that, nobody is going to remember them. And they're just one-sentence Christians. Just one-sentence Christians. Listen, I have done plenty of sermons for one-sentence Christians. And at the, beginning of the, at the beginning of the sentence, if I'm really honest, I'm not sure if that is even true. I said it. Sometimes we put people in heaven that aren't there. And that's not even at the beginning of their sentence. And the reason that there is doubt is because they say, I was saved, but their life doesn't affect any type of change. Any type of change. And so families get together and we have these one-sentence Christians that, that are in the grave. And yes, they could be saved. Yes, they could be saved, but also they couldn't. We just don't know 
because of the way that they live their life, because there's nothing worth writing about. There's nothing that brought God glory that we can celebrate. There's nothing there at all. If you are running from God, you are living a one-sentence Christian life, and God has called you to be a novel. Come on. God has called you to be a novel. And in that novel is victory after victory and faithfulness after faithfulness and things that you're doing for him, but you have to be who he's called you to be and quit running from God. You have to quit running from God. So verse 29. At this remark, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. Look at verse 30. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. In a flame of fire in a bush. Um, <laughs> I used to think that God ran after people. I used to think that if someone was running from God, that God ran after them. And I thought maybe when, when I ran, ran from God, I thought that maybe God was running after me. But I, I have come to realize that God doesn't run after anybody. He doesn't have to. I know we get that concept from the good shepherd and Jesus goes after the lost sheep and, and tries to find them and all that kind of stuff. But what you have to realize is that's just a story. And God never doesn't know where you are. And God is always where you are. So it's, an, it's a ridiculous concept to think that you can run away from God because you actually, absolutely can't. So, so we're running from God, and what God does instead of running after us, what God does is he interrupts our wilderness living. He interrupts our wilderness life. He has some type of burning bush experience some type of stuff where he shows up and all of a sudden we're just living our normal wilderness life and we're like, oh my goodness, that, what's happening here? My, my mundane, normal, everyday life, everyday existence has been interrupted. And in this particular case, he interrupted it with a flaming bush. We all have burning bushes that happen in our life. God shows up to his people and he interrupts you. In fact, if you're running from him, he will show up to stop your forward motion. A biblical example of that is Balaam. Balaam, he's not supposed to go, but he went, got on his donkey. God makes the donkey speak. That is the moment that I would have to change something. And I don't know if I brought a fresh pair, even though your Baba told you to, right? It, He'll speak it like this. Oh, and there's an angel. Yeah, God gets in the way. God interrupts. Another person that God interrupted was Jonah. Jonah got on a boat and God really interrupted him with a big storm. Everybody knew it. He was thrown overboard and a whale ate him, or a big fish rather, ate him. And he's the only person that I know of that survived being swallowed by a fish and later was thrown up on shore. I believe, just because I am who I am, have no biblical evidence of this. I think he showed up at the time of Nineveh looking like death warmed over, and that's the reason the people repented. They didn't do anything to him. They didn't kill him because he stunk so bad. 
And so they just listened to his, his message. He was so odd, stuff hanging off of him. Maybe skin was burnt because of the acid in the stomach. I mean, have you thought about all this? I do, and it wakes me up at night, to be honest. <laughs> wakes me up at night. But God interrupted his running to the other end of the world. He interrupted him. And aren't you glad that we serve a God that cares enough for us to interrupt, to interrupt us when we're not living right? When we're running from him, that he still loves us enough to be an interruption, to get in our way, to stop our forward motion. And he does it in many different ways. He interrupts us. He interrupts us. For some of you in this room, um, he's, he's interrupted you in different ways. Like, I have been interrupted several times because I'm just in car wrecks. I don't take your children anywhere in this church because it seems like cars love to hit my vehicle. That's what it seems like. And so every time that my car, and it's never my fault. It is not my fault. I have other faults, but that's not one of them. These people hit me. This is why I get very angry when somebody's on their phone driving because I know that in a matter of moments, they are going to hit me and take me off the road. And then I'm going to have to go look for another car. Anyway, it's an interruption. And every time I've been hit, I have prayed and become very close to God. There have been times I've been bleeding. There's times that I just didn't feel good in the vehicle after it was done. And I get really close to God and I thank him that I could walk away from it. I've been interrupted in, in smaller ways too. Like when a friend comes and tells me something that I'm not aware of. And he tells me something. He, he brings something to my attention. And I'm like, yeah. That, that's probably true. Now, let me tell you how this goes down, if that ever happens, if you ever have to do this to me. As soon as you come up and you tell me what it is, probably 90% of the time, I'm not going to agree with you, but I'm going to think about it. And it's the day later when I say, yeah, they were right. That's what happens, because I am that hard-headed. I'm that pig-headed. I just have to think about it. You might get me on the 10% 10% side that says, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry about that. And we go on. But chances are you're going to get the 90% that I normally am. Okay? Is that not true? It's like days later. That is not true. And days later, you are just like that. She's just like that too. We married the same. We probably should have rethought that. But <laughs> we, we, we married the same. So, so that's it. So God brings you intentionally people into your life to interrupt what you're doing to get you back to him. And you need to listen to him. Now, I don't know what your wilderness is. I don't know how you're running from God and what you're using for this wilderness running away from God. But here's a couple of things you could be using. First of all, it could be your activities. You might have made yourself so busy that you can't listen to God. And the reason that you've done that is because you're running from him. So things take the place of Sunday morning. Things take the place of your of your Bible time with God, your devotional time with God. Things take the place of your prayer time and you're just running because you're always running to the next event, to the next activity, to the next thing that needs to be done. And you're running, 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 never stopping because you know if you stop and you're silent, God might show up in that moment and he might tell you something. So a lot of people is their activities. For other peoples, it, it peoples, you like that? Because people is plural, but I put an S on it because I'm from the South. Other people... Other people, it might be 
their devices, like their phone, their iPad, their computer, their TV. TV's not as popular anymore. Maybe it is with the older people, but younger people watch their computers and their iPads and their stuff like that. That's where they get most of their media. So maybe it's media, and it's your phone. You always have your phone with you. You're always looking at your phone. You're always checking your phone. You're always checking your iPad. You're always checking this. Well, that's a form of running away from God because the more you check that, the less you are in God's word. The more you check that, the less you are praying about things because you're more concerned about stuff that's happening here that you really can't control than you are about your spiritual walk with God. And so your devices may be the way that you are running from God and that you're living in the wilderness. And so your sentence can be, I'm saved and check my phone all the time. I'm saved and I check my iPad all the time. And that is the extent of your, your sentence. Or I'm saved and I know the next, next, next quick series, which isn't even worth writing about, right? Right? It's not even worth writing about. So really it just stops... I'm saved, and that's it. You may be running from God and in your wilderness and using addictions to stay there. I don't know what addictions it would be. There's an array of addictions it could be, you know? Drugs is not the only addiction. There's, there's several addictions that you run to, and you constantly go to that thing because you're escaping. You're trying to escape God. You're trying to run from God, and that is your wilderness. You might be thinking about other things while God is trying to give you a message. It is called spiritual ADD, or spiritual misdirection. So God's over here talking, and because you heard something that you want to research, like you go on Google and you're trying to research all this information because you're safe in the information world, because you can run and your heart not be challenged in the information world, right? Because all information is a surface, and while God is trying to get to your heart and tell you that you need to change because you're in the wilderness, and your wilderness might be a distraction, like you're just trying to think these other things while, while God is trying to give you a message. But God and his sovereignty and his amazing ability to love us keeps interrupting us. He keeps interrupting us because he is trying to get our attention. I want you to notice verse 31 of this passage. It says this. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. And a little bit later in verse 32, it's going to say, And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Moses was surprised that God had showed up. He was surprised. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are surprised when God shows up, if you are surprised when God shows up, you are living in a wilderness. Because if you were walking with God and you had a vibrant relationship with him, he would be talking to you every day. He would be doing things for you every day little, small, big, whatever it is. And when he does do something significant, instead of being surprised, this is what you would do. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. I don't deserve it. I don't know why you gave it to me, but thank you, Lord. Because you realize when you're walking with God that God is active in the world and he's active with you and he's constantly doing things in your life. So you're not surprised when God does something. 
You're just not surprised. If you are surprised when God does something, that means that that's an interruption and you were not expecting God to do anything. And the reason that you were not expecting God to do anything is because you're not walking with God. Come on. You're surprised. And so Moses, day after day, he walked by this bush. I don't know when the bush started growing. I, what is it? Hermontiology? Is that, is that the study of bushes? No, don't worry about it. I should never go with the big words. I know the little ones, okay? Study of plants, right? I'll get it in a few minutes, like on the way home. So he's just walking by, and there's this bush. 40 years. I think maybe the bush was probably growing five, eight years, right? And he passed by it, probably saw it when it first started. It was a little twig, and then as he passed by during the years, he saw it grow, and he had his sheep, and he's pushing his sheep, doing things that are very insignificant, but he's watching this bush grow. And then one day, the bush is on fire. And because he's been alone a lot, and all he's had is sheep, he talked to the sheep and said, do you see that bush over there? And they said, bah! So Moses had a mental issue, right? So he went up to the bush, and he was very surprised that it was God. And when God talked to him, he was very surprised, and he was afraid, and he couldn't look at God. And the reason that he could not work, look at God is because when God interrupts you, when you're living in your wilderness, you feel guilty and convicted that you have not been walking with him. See, you're just fine just walking in your rut. Day after day, Moses, his sheep, <laughs> you know, putting the sheep back and forth. He's, he's perfectly fine to go home and play with his kids and go to bed and do the same thing that the next day and the mundane and the routine and all the boringness. If your life is boring, ladies and gentlemen, you're in a wilderness. It's just boring. It's just the same thing over and over again. And here it is, the interruption, and God calls to him to come in. See, if you were living a normal Christian life, it wouldn't have been a surprise. Think about the rest of Moses' life. It was never a surprise when God showed up. When he showed up on the mountain, it wasn't a surprise. When he showed up with the plagues, it wasn't a surprise. When he showed up to part the waters, it wasn't a surprise. When he showed up and he, and I wish I had this power, when he showed up and all his enemies was, was gathered into the dust, you remember that story? Like they were against him, but the ground opened up. Like I wish I had that power. That would be awesome, right? That would be awesome. He, he was still walking with God. He never was surprised that God took care of business. But when he was in the wilderness, he was surprised that God showed up. That God showed up. He was amazed. So this continues. It says, um, verse Read verse 32, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. See, the way that Moses was living for 40 years wasn't on holy ground. And God is calling him back to his original call for his life which is to live holy, which is the same call that we have. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Holiness starts in the home, goes out to our brothers and sisters, goes out to the world. That's how we do it. If you want more on that, that's last week's message. But God is calling him back, and he's saying, look, I want you to take off the sandals that you've used every day of your life here, 
and I want you to realize that you have to leave that life in order to be in my presence. You have to leave those shoes off and the way you used to do things in order to step back into my presence because this is new ground. What you once thought was just a rut in your holiness and all the sand that was on your sandals is now you, you are now stepping into holiness and you're stepping into my presence. He took off his sandals as a representation that he wasn't living holy. And now he was getting into the presence of somebody that was holy. And so God invited him back into his position of being holy. Do you see that? How many of you? Well, maybe I can explain it to you this way. How many of you take off your shoes when you go home? Walk around your house in your socks? I've been known to walk around barefooted in my house. Yeah, right? I've been, I've been known to do that, barefooted. And Nicole has to put up with my feet in all their glory. She has to put up with that. How many of you wish that the people that visited your house would take off their shoes when they come in? Okay, this is less, less than the other. We're not going to count that one. Less than the other service. The other service, it was most of the congregation. They want people. So I'll give you their names and numbers so that you will know when you go to their house that you need to take off your, sho your shoes before you go in. But yeah, you take off your shoes. And when I take off my shoes, it means that I'm home. Currently, in our closet, we have our shoes nice and organized. We bought this thing that you can put your shoes on. It's shelving-wise. I take my shoes off, and I put them in the exact location where I got them from when I left the house. It is absolutely amazing. And then I just walk around because I'm at home with my shoes off. God is telling Moses, take off your shoes. Come on holy ground because holiness is your home. Holiness is the place that you are supposed to be living. Holiness is the place that you're supposed to be living in the most comfortable way. Isn't that beautiful? Take off your sandals. Your own holy ground, you're home. You're absolutely home. And so he's sitting there. He's talking to him. Holy ground, wilderness, your shoes. Stepping back into God's presence. So this is what he tells him, verse 34. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. First of all, when you come back home, when you're on holy ground, the thing that happens is you begin to see the world through God's eyes. You begin to understand that he cares for the people in the world and he loves the people in the world and that he actually sees their affliction. And he wants you to do something about it. Well, Philip, I'm not Moses and I'm not sure that I can deliver people. Yeah, but you've been given the gospel which frees people from the tyranny of sin. Come on. That's what you've been given to do. So you can give that. Your call is just as significant. And I would argue that the call to share the gospel with other people is more powerful than Moses' call. I would argue that. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them and now come I will send you back to Egypt. Not only does God interrupt our lives, but he also sends us back to our original calling. That is awesome. He pushes you back to your original calling. 
I am sending you back. And Moses is like, wait a minute, Lord, I'm not sure that I can go back. I'm not sure that I can speak. I stutter. Moses, the reason you stutter is because you're fearful, but you're going back. I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm not sure if I'm the one. And God continued to talk to Moses and said, no, you're the one. You left that call 40 years ago, and I'm sending you back to fulfill the call. You will be the one that delivers my people. And be ready for people not to accept you when you first arrive on the scene. And they didn't, but eventually they accepted him. And so God sends him back to his original calling. He sends him back. And God is sending you back today. I think... If you're in the room and you're living in wilderness, I think this is your moment where God's interrupting your life to say, hey, it's time to get on holy ground and get back to your original calling. Now, I don't know, I don't know what happened here at the end of the day, right? But I do know the scriptures doesn't say anything about Moses putting his, his sandals back on. But I have to think that he did. He picked up his sandals that he had been using, I don't know how long, and um, he stuck them on his feet. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you know this. But the 40 years that the children of Israel were in the wilderness, their clothes didn't wear out. It drove the women crazy. They could not go to their husband and say, this stuff is worn out and I just need something new. They couldn't do that because it looked new. Like it did not wear out. Their shoes that they had were not wearing out. Nothing was wearing out. And so Moses is putting on these sandals that he is going to wear for the next 40 years. The next 40 years. So he leaves the place of holiness puts on the sandals, and from a position of holiness, he goes back and faces the world and faces who he's supposed to be in God, and he lives that way from that day on. When you are living in the center of God's will, all of your needs are supplied. Everything. If people come against you, God is against them. If people are for you, God is giving you that as a gift. He supplies food. He supplies clothing. He supplies everything. And the best thing about this, the best thing about this is instead, <laughs> instead of having a one-sentence sort of life, he gives you a novel. He gives you a novel. And what is in that novel is story after story after story how God is using you in his, with his purposes in this world. That's what it's about. So Moses goes back. The moment that he goes back, this is what starts to be written in his life. Moses went to see Pharaoh. Pharaoh said no. Moses turned water to blood. Moses still said no. And then there's 10 of those sequences, except for the last one. Moses says, get out of town. But then Pharaoh follows him. There's a Red Sea. We can't get across. How are we going to get across? Moses didn't even flinch. Walked right out there, parted the waters, and they walked across on dry land. Ladies and gentlemen, that's pretty significant. 
And when you live for God and you're faithful to do so, you will have the same type of stories. They might not be as grand as that, but you'll have the same type of stories because God will constantly be working through you in this life for his honor and his glory and amazing things happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And I don't know if there are people in this room that are one-sentence Christians or not. I don't know if there's people in this room that are running from you. Father, I pray that if they are, that this is their interruption. pray that they take their shoes off they have a conversation with you and then they agree to fulfill your calling for holiness in their life and they leave this building wearing their shoes from that position of holiness it is what the world needs pray that as they walk out the door, you begin immediately, and I know that you do, you will immediately start to do some amazing things in their life, both small and great. Things that are worthy of remembrance because they bring you honor and glory. Help us to see the fleeting passing of minute activities in our life. And help us see better the solid ones that last for eternity, the things that really, really matter. So do what you do all the time, call your people. And I pray that the people will respond. So we lay this at your feet, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's stand and, and sing this closing number. The altar is open for you.